to down to down to Miffed and peeved. That's a way of saying like you're angry or you're mad. Don't be miffed and peeved. Miffed. Don't be miffed and peeved. <laughs> I know it. It's a real. It's a real. It's a real. It's a real one. I don't use it. It's not in your vocab. Down to down. Yes. This is Stephen Adams. Don't be miffed and peeved. No, you can't be miffed and peeved. Sorry. This is Stephen Adams. You can't be miffed and peeved because you're listening to Down to Dunk. Welcome to Down to Dunk. This is your host, Andrew Schleck, for part of DailyFinder.com. And we're also featured on Dash Radio at 5 o'clock Central Time. We appreciate you listening. If you're on Dash Radio, we're at Thunder Show, so you'll hear all about the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I'd like to thank our sponsor of today's show, Grady Carter with Metro Brokers of Oklahoma. Grady is a realtor. He is a GRI designee, which means he knows everything about getting you into a home or selling your home. He knows the Oklahoma City market very well. And really the best part about him is that he cares about people. Uh, honestly, Grady, I don't know anybody that will make you feel more welcome or is more friendly than Grady Carter. So please give him a call, contact him uh, via social media. Uh, you can see all of his stuff on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter um, at Homeboy OK. So search Homeboy OK. He's got a website, homeboyok.com. If you need to buy or sell a home, this is your man. You will love Grady Carter. Go check him out, and he wants to be your homeboy. Today, I've got Matt Craig on to discuss the Thunder's first three games, and uh, here is that discussion. Today, I have Matt Craig on the line. Matt, what is up? What's up? We haven't gotten a chance to talk since the Thunder played. Uh, Now three games in, and I'm very excited. I know some people have... uh, not been quite as excited with how the Thunder played, but I'm very pumped about the season, at least that it's started and getting rolling. Yeah, you have any uh, you have any takes from the first three games that you'd like to share with the, with the people? Uh, people won't like the take of settle down, um, yeah. but that's probably the correct one to have, which is just three games out of eighty two. Let's let's uh, slow down on the on the hot takes. Yeah, yeah. There's there's nothing that you can really extrapolate. The, through the entire season with what's happened so far. Like they're working through a lot of things. It's mm-hmm. some things aren't working, some things are working. But just don't don't freak out cuz this team is it was always going to take some time. And so if you I mean even now is typically still preseason time and teams take a while to even figure it out when they bring back the same group. Uh, so this is still preseason time. You can kind of think of it that way for the Thunder. Uh, they've, they've got some things to work through, certainly, and they've got some injuries and stuff like that that they've got to get back from. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good take. Don't freak out. There you go. Uh, let's go ahead and we'll just work through some questions. I think that's kind of a, a, a good way to talk about these first three games and maybe some things to freak out about or some things to analyze. Uh, from at James to 20 says the 2012 heat um took 19 shots for or 19 shots per game for lebron 18 for wade and 14 for bosh would this be a good number for russ paul george and Melo to take 
Hmm. Yeah, I one of my takeaways from the first three games is that Russell Westbrook should have more shots than Paul George and Carmel Anthony, and that was not the case, not even close to the case in the first two games. Mm-hmm. Um, first game was because guys were hot. The second game was weird in that he was deferring a lot, uh, and he only took 11 shots. Carmelo took 26 that game. I think for the Thunder to be most successful, Russell Westbrook needs to take the most shots. And, I mean, that showed in the the Timberwolves game, like, as good of a scorer as Carmelo Anthony and Paul George are, at this point in their careers, like, Russell Westbrook is just a lot better. (laughs) He's a good good facilitator, and he's the point guard, so that was kind of the thinking in that he's trying to get everyone involved. That's great. But as a pure scorer, he's just the best. So he should should definitely have the most shots, I think, for the Thunder to play as best possible. Um, In comparison to what we're seeing here, those are averages, you know, and those are going to vary pretty heavily game to game. Um, but I, I feel like if they're all close to the same, you know, in under 20, that's awesome. I mean, that's, if that's what worked for the Heat and they won the championship that year. But um, I think it's going to vary widely game to game and the averages are hard. Uh, and it would be hard to, to say that either Paul George or Carmelo Anthony is going to only take 14 shots per game at this point. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right that a lot of it's going to be matchup based for this team as to who's taking what shot. Uh, and Melo has got to stop shooting the ball so much. And maybe, and some of that's on Russell Westbrook because he's definitely deferring, like you said. Uh, but for this team to reach its peak, Russ has to be the best player on the team. Uh, because he is, <laughs> and and you're right. As a scorer, uh, it will make things easier on those other two if Russ is aggressive and attacking, uh, and even shooting the ball more because it puts more pressure on the defense, and then he can find ways to get those guys open. Uh, but so far, it's been like visibly very easy to see who's getting the ball when and what's going to happen. Because when Melo gets the ball, he has these little tells that says, oh, Melo's not giving the ball up now. Like he, yep. If he jab steps once, he's keeping the ball. Um, <laughs> that is, that's pretty much true, yeah. And Paul George uh, really hasn't found his rhythm. He played well against the Knicks, uh, but he's still trying to find his spots. And so if Russ can put a ton of pressure on the defense, and then you can have you can get these other guys open a little bit easier as well. Here's a a couple things that have annoyed me through the first three games. Mm -hmm. Um, One is the shot profile of the Thunder. Um, This is something that uh, the advanced analytics people look at a lot is like where you're getting your shots from. And the Thunder are taking a lot of contested mid range shots. Mm -hmm. Um, Those, you know, that's partially because that's who Carmelo Anthony is. And Paul George likes those type shots as well. But um, especially like when you talk about the flow of a game, second, third quarter, and not crunch time, those shots, uh, they're just inefficient and they're very difficult. And even though he's a tough shot maker, you're making life very difficult on yourself. um, the other thing, I, I really feel like the rotation, and, and we know Billy Donovan's a tinkerer, so this is all going to change, but um, the way it is now where Paul George goes out first, then Russell Westbrook and Carmel Anthony's in there with the second unit, and then Paul George comes back in, and Russ comes back in, and then Carmelo goes out. Um, I think that should I think that should flip with Carmelo and Paul George personally. Uh, we, we actually kind of talked about this in the preseason of we preferred when Paul George was playing with the second unit. I just think... 
I mean, I've never, <laughs> this is uh, kind of tough to say now because it's on my team, but I've never been a fan of um, the way Carmelo Anthony can just stop a possession. Mm-hmm. And, and especially with the second unit, he stops almost every possession yep. um, and goes into that little wing isolation that's, you know, a step inside the three. Even if that was happening at the three, it would be it would be more efficient. So uh, I don't know. I, I would say those things are kind of who the Thunder are going to be, and they're going to have to, like, work in ways um, – to be more efficient, but I, I kind of think that's the bed the Thunder have made, and they just need to, to I don't know, be more effective with with that. I guess I don't I don't know that that's going to change. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you're right. I'd like to thank Anchor Down for sponsoring today's show. Go check out Anchor Down today. As you know, they've got incredible corn dogs. They are hand dipped. They are gourmet. They are absolutely delicious. You won't find another corn dog like this in the country. Anchor Down is at on 2nd Street in Deep Deuce. Uh, it's an incredible place. It's a cool place. They have a great patio. Uh, and those giant red shipping containers. A really unique little spot uh, in Deep Deuce in downtown OKC. Uh, they have an incredibly fresh salad. It's this chicken cob salad. It's incredible. You guys have heard me talk about it. And I promise it is so, so good. All their stuff is fresh and delicious. So go check out Anchor Down today. You can follow them on social media at Anchor Down OKC. Also, look for the press. The press is opening very soon. It's going to be incredible. So check out the press on social media, the press, okay, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Go check it out for more details. Uh, next question from at says Higgs. What teams will Robertson be most and least effective against? Other than shooting, what can he do to be more impactful? <laughs> Robertson's kind of the hot topic right now <laughs> with the Thunder. Yeah. Uh, and, and even there was even a report that now he may, yeah, they're saying he's working back in from an injury um, that happened in June. He had a surgery in June. So that was a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, apparently that may be still plaguing him. I think Thunder fans have always been too hard on Robertson, uh, and I think they still are too hard on him because of what he can bring. But I will say this. In the first three games, and it is small sample size, he hasn't looked as good defensively, which is his calling card, Hmm. uh, and he hasn't been as active on the offensive end, which is the other thing that he's been able to do is, is... to be moving around, to be forcing, you know, different actions in the defense. And he hasn't done that either, uh, which has only emphasized the bad parts of his game, which are, he's still not going to be a good spot of shooter. The free throw, uh, thing, you know, as Barry, I don't know if you watched the, the end of the Timberwolves, the press conference. I actually did. And Barry Trammell had a little confrontation with Billy Donovan. I was, about, I was in the room. I was sitting right by Barry. Yeah. Great. Uh, that was a little, um, awkward. Maybe, uh, it was hilarious. Like it was just like kind of classic Barry Trammell. Oh, classic. Absolutely. He, he was trying to give Billy was trying to give like his typical Billy answers and, and then Barry was just like, actually, like you didn't really answer my question. Like he's <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, there isn't an answer to that question. The question that he kept asking was like, "How do we? How do you improve Robertson's free throw shooting to where you can keep him out on the floor?" It's like Billy Donovan's like, "If I knew the answer to that, I would, yeah. <laughs> I would be, you know, 
Greg Popovich or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, that so yeah, I, Andre Robertson's the hot topic. Now, to your question of what teams will he be better against, um, I would say the teams in which there is a significantly strong offensive player who doesn't play a lot of defense, you know, um, that he can just match up really well with. I think anytime there's a strong offensive player that he can, you know, have that effect on the defensive end is going to be huge. So, yeah, because that that's his strength. That's his strength. And the team is just going to hope that that offensive impact comes back to where it was at the end of last season because anyone who watches a lot of Thunder games knows he just doesn't look the same. I mean, there was a bunch of times at the end of last season where he would surprise you with a, a huge drive and a dunk or a cut um, and then a kicked to an open player or something like that that he hasn't been showing this year at all. So uh, I, I don't know. I would just say he doesn't look like he's in his midseason form, and that's because we're not in the midseason. Yeah, he. I mean, he does look off. There's no question about that. And a, a lot of Andre Robertson's shortcomings are mental. Like he, and he's never going to be a good shooter. Uh, mm. But for some reason, during playoff time, and I just challenge everyone who's listening who just thinks that Andre Robertson is a useless offensive player, go watch just on YouTube. Just type in Andre Robertson playoffs and watch him please because he is not an awful offensive player he is a terrible shooter from the free throw line from three-point range yes but he can finish around the basket he can pass on the short roll and he's a good rebounder and he's been a good offensive rebounder in the past too so he can do all those things and those are all helpful to this team he's basically has to be the four on offense and if he's not then he's not doing much. To me, it's all comes down to activity. Is he setting a screen? Is he around the baseline? Is he playing a big position on offense? Then he can be absolutely effective, but he's got to be active. When he's standing on the three-point line with his hands on his knees, knowing that he shouldn't have the ball anyways out there, that's when absolutely he's a zero on offense. And I get that. He's even a negative on offense there. But he doesn't have to be. And that's what is puzzling to me, just the way he's used and the way that... And some of this does fall on Billy Donovan, sure. But some of it's on Dre, too. The Thunder aren't saying, hey, Dre, go park in the corner, hands on your knees, just take it easy because we want you on defense. We don't we don't care about that side of the floor. No, the Thunder aren't saying that. Like, there's no way they are. They want him to be active, but some of that's on Dre as well. Um, and teams he can be effective against, like when Kawhi comes back, San Antonio, for sure. Uh, Houston is a team that he should be very effective against. Uh, so far, they've played teams. New York, not a guy from the guard there. Utah, no one there. Minnesota should have been a team that he could be effective against, and he was on Wiggins and Spots. Um, but really, the next Indiana, maybe he can guard Victor Oladipo, but, I mean, Vic is a threat, but not like the crazy threat like Kawhi or somebody like that you get Minnesota again on Friday and then Chicago so there's not like a ton that you're going to see from him in the next three games um but I also think it's not terrible yeah I also think that um on the offensive end 
So Tom Thibodeau kind of revolutionized NBA defenses with his protect the rim, um, strong side defensive schemes. Mm -hmm. And teams that are from the Tom Thibodeau coaching tree or just have been heavily influenced by him, like the Jazz, I'm talking about wall-up teams, teams that really defend the paint. Um, Andre Arbison is going to be less effective on offense. And teams that are more aggressive on defense and really try to stifle the perimeter, like the Houston Rockets that you just mentioned, uh, that is almost a perfect matchup for them in the playoffs last year. He's going to be more effective because of what he does cutting to the rim um, and attacking closeouts, those, those sort of things, uh, which, you know, we'll, as the season goes on, you know, there'll be a mix of those. But I would say uh, for the whole Thunder offense, anyone who's kind of been ringing the death, death knell for the Thunder offense this year, we've the Thunder have played pretty good offensive teams, not the Knicks. <laughs> the Knicks are awful. <laughs> uh, but the Jazz and the Timberwolves both have a chance to be pretty good defensive teams. Uh-huh. Um, although the Timberwolves did not look like it last night against the the Pacers, uh, no, <laughs> but they have the potential to be a pretty decent uh, defensive team. And then the thing I keep coming back to with Robertson, and this is it, this is kind of funny because this is the Sam Presti ideal player. Um, I a lot of people will say that in order to make it to the NBA, you have to have a little bit of that irrational confidence because you have to believe in yourself as a player and think that you're the guy in order to play at a certain level of basketball. But Andre Robertson and even guys like Josh Hustis, other players that Thunder have had throughout the years, kind of seem like they don't have that uh, that trait. And it's kind of funny. The Thunder almost point to those guys in the draft process because they're great culture guys. They're selfless. You know, they're great in the locker room. They're going to work hard. They're not making it about themselves. And yet, if Andre Robertson just had a little bit of that J.R. Smith in him, uh, he would be so much better as a player. So it's kind of a it's kind of a paradox um, that I think the Thunder have had with a bunch of guys throughout the years. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, even talking to Dre and just seeing him after the game, like you can just look at him just as a guy who feels defeated. Mm. I mean, he had airballed those two free throws, and everybody wants to fixate on that. <clears throat> but really, the larger impact to me is activity on offense if he remains active on the offensive end and setting screens staying on the baseline when he's not setting a screen even being the guy who sets the pick on a pick and roll uh i think that that will help i don't know i and i thought this was a good idea to start with but i haven't seen anything really good come of whenever he initiates the offense at the top of the key he's they do that a lot and so you'll see that tonight when they play indiana he'll initiate the offense and then it typically just ends up in the hands of Russell Westbrook or Paul George or Carmelo anyways, and then they have to rerun something once, once it gets to them. It doesn't really seem to be helping anything when he initiates. So I don't know how helpful that is unless they're running some kind of set, but it doesn't seem like they are. So why isn't he, like, let him set the pick and let Melo and um, Paul George space out, and then you can have, you know, some kind of action there. I don't know. I just want to see more from him than just standing. Because yeah. standing, that, that's just not helping anybody. I uh, just think he's a precious little flower that needs love and confidence uh, <laughs> in order to blossom. He and, kind of is. He and yet, is. at the same time, you know, he's just gotten kicked and stomped on. You know, he's <laughs> he's the flower that hasn't gotten watered uh, in a long time. And and uh, so he's, he's having a hard time uh, shooting up, I guess. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We have more questions about Andre. I think we've talked kind of enough about him. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
this one's kind of funny. This is from Jordan Amangius. Uh, I'm really good at reading his name. Uh, would you agree to sit next to a storm chaser for an entire game if it guaranteed that Robertson never airballs a free throw ever again? My answer is absolutely not. Like I'm not willing to sacrifice that much of my life to uh, allow him to shoot better. This might be my hottest take on the Down to Dunk podcast, but I kind of like the Storm Chasers. Get off the pod. Uh, yep. Wow. I just okay. wish okay. I had Justify that yourself. Much, Justify I just yourself. wish I had that much enthusiasm about anything. Um, yeah. And when I pay the money to go to a Thunder game, I'm trying to get thundered up. <laughs> and, and, you know, even though they're, they can be annoying and they are annoying, like they, they get you pumped up. I, I don't know. I like the. I've never sat next to one that would probably change my opinion, uh, maybe entirely. But I like the Storm Chasers. I, I'm repping for the Storm Chasers because no one else will. Wow. My only thought right now is: Should I take this out of the podcast? Should I just edit this whole part out? <laughs> That's my only thought. And there I, are Storm Chasers out there listening who are like, "Man, Storm Chaser lives matter, man." That- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just get annoyed. Um, next question from at Midnight Ross. What adjustment should Donovan make to help Paul George find his role in the offense? Hmm. Uh, the one thing I would do, sorry, I'm just shook. I'm like doing a podcast with the Scrooge here. (laughs) My goodness, the total party pooper. Uh, I, the thing that the thing I would do is this is kind of what the Warriors have done. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how to best implement multiple stars at the same time. Um, I think I think the best way to do it is implementing more of like star to star pick and roll. It seems like when everyone's been on the floor, it's been a Stephen Adams pick and roll. And don't get me wrong, Stephen Adams is a great pick and roll player. Um, he's looked awesome so far this season. But what the Warriors do to devastating effect is Kevin Durant setting a screen on Steph Curry's man. Um, the problem is Carmelo Anthony might be the worst screen setter in the NBA. Uh, he does not ever set a screen, and it makes me so angry. He'll <laughs> run up like he's setting a screen, and then he'll do the little slip thing. And yeah. if he accidentally bumps the guy with his butt then that's the most you'll ever get from him on a screen um so i would i would say it's gonna have to be paul george setting a screen on uh russell westbrook's guy but that's a that's a great way to engage multiple stars and it's really hard for the defense to defend because uh you can't you can't cheat either way you've got to just try and fight through over under uh the screen and the thunder haven't really used that that action at all so I think Billy Dominic look at that. I think he's just going to keep messing with the with the rotations. Um, I obviously you you can't be playing eleven deep in the playoffs. Um, so I, I think he's just trying a lot of guys out. So I think I think he'll get that figured out. Um, but yeah, the one thing schematically I would do is star to star pick and roll. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I honestly don't hate the way that he's been used so far. I think he's just missed a ton of shots. There's been, like, he'll run off pin-down screens and be wide open for a shot, and he's just missed almost all of them. And so I don't hate the way that he's being used. Uh, He has done a lot of isolation ball, sure, and he's taken a lot of long twos, and those need to be, they need to, you know, dwindle down the number of long twos that he and Miller are taking. But other than that, like, I just don't hate the way that he's been used so far. I just think his shot's not falling, and... You know, once his shot starts to fall, things are going to be a lot easier and a lot better for the Thunder in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes 
we overanalyze things to the point where we don't even think about like making and missing shots. And a lot of the league is is a shot going in because I don't think they're doing awful things with him, and I do think that they're trying to use him off ball. Uh, but I just I just think he's just his shots not falling. So I think that's a big part of it. Uh, Glazed and consumed ask if Paul George should run pick and rolls basically, and yeah, Boom. he should. He should. He should be, he can be the ball handler or the screen setter. Um, and so I think that that is a really interesting way. I like to see more one, two pick and roll also. This isn't about Paul George with Abrinas and Russ, just because you can't really defend that. And then if you have those other two guys on the wing, then I think that's really helpful. Um, so I'd like to see that. Uh, at Robbie underscore Bennett asks, with what we've seen so far, how would you game plan to stop OKC? Not implying they've been dominant, but it helps us figure out our finicky offense. I mean, I think if you were just making a team and a test, it would look, it would look a lot like the Jazz. Um, mm-hmm. There was an article that came out on 538 about the Thunder not being able to rebound this year. Uh, I think they definitely made sacrifices in the offseason and chose skill over physicality and they've been a team that's emphasized physicality for a lot of the you know the last several years i think teams that are really big inside and they dominate the glass they're really physical on defense they have a rim protector like a rudy gobert who can meet you at the rim um are going to be the team's you know, because the Thunder will now take threes this year. Um, teams that pack the paint and try and make them make them be, make them beat you from the outside mm-hmm. um, are the teams that the Thunder are going to struggle with. And then on the other end, teams that are deep, because um, especially defensively, the Oklahoma City Thunder. The deeper they go, the worse they get defensively. Um, so teams that can score, you know, have second unit scores, are going to have an advantage over the Thunder as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it starts with having a dominant rim defender and then having at least one solid wing out there uh, that can defend uh, one of these guys. I I think that it it isn't really that hard to stop them so far, uh, just because it is a lot of your turn, my turn. Mm. Um, And so, honestly, the game plan is not super complex at this point to stop OKC. And it's if you can shut down, you know, you know, at least put a, a dominant defender on Westbrook, and then have the other guys where they can at least play man to man. So far, that works. Um, I, I just think that they have to find ways to get the, the stars moving because. Um, as much you know, we always talk about floor spacing, floor spacing. As much as that helps. You can't have a Paul George and a Carmelo Anthony level player just doing a lot of wing standing, mm-hmm. which has been what the Thunder have done a lot of. Is like we put one on one side, we put one on the other, then we do whatever we want in the middle, and they're just like there, you know, to space the floor. Um, what the Warriors do again, like the they, way they play basketball is beautiful. I hate them. <laughs> don't don't hear that. But uh, the way they play is beautiful. Getting the stars moving around the floor because then the defense has to worry about where these guys are versus I know he's on the wing. I can cheat in two, three steps and kind of still help out in the middle. I think, I mean, you said in the preseason, the Thunder are never going to be that type of team, that ball movement type of team. But over an 82 game season, over five months of practice, like I just hope that they can move in that direction uh, because that makes them impossible to defend. And right now, 
despite all the talent, they have been pretty easy to defend, as you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, they just need more ball movement and player movement. And Billy talks about that all the time. And he also talks about how they don't, he doesn't want to take long twos. But so far, they're not moving, and the ball isn't moving, and they're taking a ton of long, to, long twos. So I just don't know. I mean, Billy says all the right things, and then it just doesn't happen on the court. And at some point... Yep. it's not on Billy anymore because he's coaching them to do the right things. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, Billy needs to get these guys doing blah, blah, blah. Th- these are professional basketball players. <laughs> this is their job. And a lot of times you can say, Russell, I want you to do this. And Russell's going to do what he wants to do despite what you say. And the same with these other guys. Like, I think maybe the most coachable guys on the team, Steven Adams is probably at the top of that. Um, and then probably a lot of second unit guys. Uh, these these stars, they know what they've been effective at in their careers, or at least in their head, they think they've been effective at. And to kind of like break them from that uh, is not easy. Even look at Kevin Durant at the beginning of last season with the Warriors. You mentioned the Warriors, but the beginning of last season, Durant was the same Durant that we'd always known. He's a ball stopper. He was hijacking possessions from the Warriors, and they weren't playing that beautiful brand. And it took him a long time to break him of that. And That's true. He, and he finally did. That's true. Uh, so, so, so maybe there is hope, is what you're saying. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think. No, that, I, I, I think that it's possible. Yeah, I'm uh, not. I, I'm not more ball movement and player movement. Right. I'm not trying to make it seem like doom and gloom here. Uh, and another one of our questions was talking about. What is Billy Donovan's strengths? I mean, like yeah. I said, I, I watch a lot of college basketball. I think what Billy Donovan was always known for, even in the college ranks, was you know player development. But then he was excellent at game preparation, getting players ready for the game. But he was always known as a guy that didn't didn't interfere in the game too much. And at times he was criticized for you know not calling a lot of timeouts, kind of letting his players have too much freedom on the floor. He's not someone that micromanages the game. Um, and at the NBA level, he, you do that a little bit more just because that's how the game is played. But at times, you know, he could be saying all the right things in between games and he could be saying all the right things at practice. But at in the game, he is letting the players play. Uh, and coaching superstars has always been hard mm-hmm. in the entire history of the NBA. Coaching superstars is, is a difficult thing to do. And Billy Donovan has had a grand total of three regular season games uh, to get used to that. Um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not, uh, I'm not acting like the season's over and we're going to be terrible or, or anything like that. Yeah. Without a doubt. This, it, the question comes from Aaron Terrell about Donovan's uh, strengths, his weaknesses, his strengths, I think that he's extremely flexible as a coach with his rotations. There's a lot of guys, and we had one here in OKC for a long time, and Scott Brooks, where you could basically set timers on your phone for when the rotations were going to change. Like, you know that Kevin Durant's going to come out here, and Kendrick Perkins is going to come out there, and, you know, Reggie Jackson's going to come in here. Like, you could, you just knew it. It was like clockwork, and that's yep. good for some teams. Um, but I think with this particular team, I think it's good to be flexible and to like really figure out what works uh, and to use a lot of different guys in a lot of different ways. And Billy, uh, so far through three games, has done that. I mean, he's played an outrageous amount of you know different rotations and he's gotten a lot of different looks from different guys. And I think that's great. Um, he's... I think that one thing that uh, Sam Presti always says about Billy Donovan is he's curious, and that always makes me laugh. Like every time he's like, "What, what do you like about Billy Donovan?" Well, he's very curious, and it's, it's just <laughs> hilarious. Uh, but he is like, he really wants to know, like, what? How does this work? What does this guy look like? Can we put 
can we put Josh Hughes at the two? Because I tried him at the two the other night. You know, can you yeah. put him at the five? Like they, he's trying a ton of stuff. I think that's a good strength yeah. for him. Uh, we, he, I think, for that's example, also part of his weaknesses too is that maybe he tries too much sometimes. For example, he tried the other night closing the game with Raymond Felton mm-hmm. <laughs> and learned that that hurts you on the defensive end and on the rebounding, yeah. <laughs> which is exactly what happened. Andrew Wiggins beat him one time. Andrew Wiggins got an offensive rebound put back one time right there at the end of the game. Uh, and then, you know, then they had to put Robertson back in, at the very end of the game. So that takes a lot of confidence as a coach, especially a young coach like he is. Um to be able to try things like that yep. and he'll continue to tinker throughout the season. Uh, and that's a good thing. I, that's a, that's definitely a good thing. Um, use all those minutes <laughs> to find out what works best for the playoffs. And this team is in no, um, rush. And I would say no pressure. I mean, there's, there's pressure, but I'm saying they're going to win games just because of who they are. And so that kind of gives you a little bit of leeway to, to mess with some things. Yeah. And make no mistake. Like this team, their eyes are on the playoffs and their eyes are not on like winning as many regular season games as possible, which I think some of it needs to be there because you want to try to stay out of the Warriors bracket. And I think they do yes. want that. But for the most part, they're looking to play their best brand of basketball in April. And if they have to sacrifice games in October to make that happen, they, they will. And so that that's, that can be frustrating as a fan. Of, that you're watching all 82 games, but it really is. And Robertson said this at practice today: you have to trust the process, and there, there is a definite process in this team kind of figuring out their identity. Uh, and it's we're, you're going to be able to kind of see it unfold. Uh, you have to know that the progress of this team is not going to be linear. That's another Sam Prestyism. Progress is not linear. They're going to play awesome. They may play awesome against Indiana, and then they may not play as well, you know, next week against Milwaukee. Like, <laughs> things are going to vacillate with this team. But as long as they're playing their best ball in April, that's honestly what matters the most. And, there, like, there was another one of our questions. I, I've got it here. At Wimish Lobo, who asked how long he thinks this adjustment period will last. I was actually looking at the schedule today and December is a really soft month in this Thunder schedule. Most of the games are against lower level Eastern Conference teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really think by the new year, a lot of things will be figured out and the Thunder will kind of be in a groove. Part of that is they will have got, what, 20, 30, maybe 35 games under their belt. Um, but a lot of that is going to be a lot of cons- consecutive games against bad teams. I think they're going to figure a lot of things out. And I think coming into early 2018, they're going to be look like a completely different team than they are now. Uh, and that'll be that'll be a good thing at this point. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll play. I mean, if they're like 10 games over 500 at least, I think that you can be happy with that. Um, but they'll, they'll likely, they're not going to lose a ton of games. Like you said, December is pretty soft. The, you start out, the first two games are, are kind of tough. Minnesota, San Antonio, and then they have Utah. But they have Brooklyn, Memphis, Charlotte, Indiana, Philly, New York, yep. Denver, Utah, Atlanta, Utah. I mean, like the, there's not a lot of crazy teams in there. I know Utah played really well against the Thunder that night. Uh, but they also had like Joe Ingles, who looked like Michael Jordan. Uh, and he doesn't play like that. He doesn't play like that every night if you don't watch Joe Ingles a whole lot. Um, and the Thunder are going to figure stuff out. They they don't look great at this point, and that's okay. Like they, yep. I would rather them be trying to do the right things and it fail 
now than them just try to completely do your turn, my turn, and not try to make it work. Uh, I think, and a lot of that's on Russ. And I appreciate the way that Russell Westbrook has played through these three games because he's really, really trying to do the yep. right things with this crew. Uh, I think like the only like real culprit and not doing what's the best thing for this crew is Mello. And we like Mello is Mello. Like Mello's in his early thirties. He's this. This is who he is. And to try to yeah. break somebody of that now, uh, you're a little too. You're a little too late. <laughs> the funniest thing is. All before the season, in the lead up to the year, it's let's give these guys time to adjust. Right. <laughs> you know, let's be patient. And then three games in, everyone is just ready to throw out their takes <laughs> about how it's not working. What's wrong? What do we need to change? It's just, it's so funny. Like, let's listen to our own advice here a little bit and yeah. <laughs> give these guys some time. Um, let's see. Somebody, a lot of Robertson stuff. We, we've touched on him way too much already. At Say Hig says, is there an NBA team or international team where Kyle Singler could be useful as a player? Uh, no, no. I mean, not, not a, definitely not an NBA team. Oh, there's an inter- yeah, there's plenty of international teams. I have friends who didn't play college basketball at all and have gone like started working out and gone overseas to play. I mean, there are some there are some really bad <laughs> international <laughs> leagues where they're just like, whoa, six five. You know, it's like that's enough right there. Uh, and Kyle Singler, you know. The thing to remember is that all NBA guys are good. Um, as bad as he seems, and as hard for me to admit that as it is, uh, Kyle Singler, I'm sure, would like kill anyone who, who, <laughs> who drops a Twitter comment saying how he can't play. Uh, so he could definitely play overseas, but no, there, there's no way he could, he could give solid minutes in the NBA. No. Yeah. He's, he's pretty much toast. Um, let's see. There was one more. Oh yeah. From Stone Cold S Adams. Does Steven Adams need to wear a cup to protect his family jewels? And who <laughs> should sponsor this? Yeah, actually, I actually thought about this one. Um, it needs to be like the old uh, Saturday Night Live ads that they would run <laughs> with Will Forte yeah. and um, Jason Sudeikis. With like it would be like something like Trojan or KY Jelly, and then yeah. it would you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Jason uh-huh. Sudeikis would be like KY Jelly. <laughs> you know, <those laughs> I just whatever the ad is, I don't know what brand it would be. I just want a commercial with Jason Sudeikis, Will Forte, and then Stephen Adams doing that whole. <laughs> That whole routine. That's all I want. Uh, that would be fantastic. He does need to uh, probably wear a cup because for some reason people just want to just kick him or hit him right in the nuts. Uh, and he, Joe Ingles hit him in the nuts the other night against the Jazz. Uh, it's just kind of a weird thing he's got going. And maybe probably does need to wear a cup. Maybe like Planters could you know sponsor it. You could put Mr. Peanut on the outside of his. Ooh, there you go. Of his uh, of his cup or something. But it's a it's a problem. <laughs> and Stephen Adams, I mean, if you don't, you maybe you should just take a game or something with the Thunder sometime this season. Just watch him exclusively. And it's kind of hard to when you've got Russ and Paul George and all these guys out there. But just try to watch him and what he does because he is an irritant on every end of the court. I mean, he is. You know, bumping guys wrong. He's grabbing them. He's pulling on their jersey. He's pulling on their arm. He's pinching. He's, you know, elbowing. Like he is really, he really frustrates these guys to the point of them just, you know, kicking him right in the nuts. And 
you know, just just take some time to watch and appreciate all that is Stephen Adams. He has had a great start to his season. I think he's one of the huge bright spots for this team. That whenever they do figure things out, that you have this you know monster of a seven footer who can defend and who is a good offensive player and is a good passer. Uh, to have that, I think is is big time. Um, but yeah, it's going to. Uh, it's it's interesting the, what he does and why he's being targeted because like he's doing stuff all the time. So take some time to watch him because it's pretty fun. He's uh, been great. Yes. He's been really great. Uh, someone asked if we should be worried. Stephen M nine one eight asked if we should be worried about the team's three point percentage. No, they've missed just a ton of wide open looks that come from Paul George and Carmelo, and those guys will knock down shots. Same, I'll say this same with the Carmelo. If Carmelo pulls up on fast break for a three again, I'm probably going to throw my TV out the window. I, gonna, you will throw your TV out the window, guaranteed I, tonight. Oh, I hate that. I, <laughs> I, I call me like yeah, an 85 year old man who loves old school basketball, but this is not 2K. Like I, uh, I just hate when he does that. See, this is where you and I differ. I love three point. I love three point shots. If you can shoot them, take them. Come on, give give me all of them. Uh, Ross Patterson, 93. Is there an actual point to the last two-minute report other than making me mad? <laughs> no. No, the two-minute report is stupid. Um, I, I, they had a lot of pressure. I can see why they put it in, but then they should have they should have taken it away because it doesn't change anything. No, it doesn't change. It's, it's honestly just for the officials and to hold them accountable. Uh, but why is it published? Yeah, it shouldn't be published then. I think it's, I think it's published to... Uh, to make them feel bad, to make the officials feel bad, like ah, shame them. Yeah. You got to shame them it's into a, better calls. It's a public shaming. You're right. Got it. As if they don't they don't catch enough abuse as it is. You're right. <laughs> right. You're right. NBA players don't talk back enough. The, could it, it? It could be. I mean, it's definitely probably the suckiest job in the NBA. I mean, that's it's an incredibly difficult job. Maybe one of the most difficult jobs, and the one where. Like you never like they're never praised for making good calls because that's what nope. they're expected to do, yep. and then when they miss a call, they're just shamed. Um, it's the worst job in the world. And now we're at the point where it's not just star players. Like Josh Eustis the other night, he like was talking to a ref and like going off on him because of a foul on a block. It's like if Josh Eustis has the free reign to just yell at you. Then I, I mean I don't even know what to say. You have the you have the worst job in the world, man. Um, last one from X Larry Miller X. Why does nobody discuss Westbrook's cuffing marks on his arms? Yeah, because they're ugly. I don't know. I'm trying to not acknowledge them. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we, we don't want to associate Singler and Westbrook. We don't want to put. We don't want to talk about them together. And I think that's yeah. Why. Next thing you know, there'll be some blog post about Russell Westbrook doing a float take thing, yes. and I'm just like, oh my goodness. Russ, yeah, I just I don't want to talk about them in the same sentences, and so I'm content with talking about like suits and you know mini mini man buns and stuff like that. But not I wouldn't be us. surprised if Russell Westbrook showed up to a game though, like only wearing tidy whities and his whole body is just covered in cup <laughs> cup marks, just circles like there's just a circle tattoo on his entire body basically, and he's just like, yeah, this is fashion. Yeah, come buy my fifty dollar fashion book, page thirty seven is the tidy whitey cup outfit i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know man it's it's weird but some some guys do it that's that's my that's my uh i've never done commentary. it I should, yeah right i should probably try it and then like write about the, you know what the effects were it just i can't imagine can't imagine what like 
it's basically somebody grabbing a skin you know if your friend just grabbed your arm and held it real tight for like a, a couple minutes like 10 minutes and then let go i just can't imagine how that helps you i don't know i yeah. guess people say blood flow uh, maybe i'm just like grossly misinformed here but um i i don't know i don't get it i think that russ's bad play so far is probably from the cupping i think that it it sucks the uh, basketball skill out of you i think that's you heard what happened to Kyle. <laughs> that's a, that's heard science <laughs> um you can follow matt on twitter at mr matt craig read he has a post up on daily thunder currently that you can go read about alex abrinas that's really good uh you can follow us on twitter at down to dunk please leave us a five-star itunes review if you got some time on your hands and you listen to our show week in week out we appreciate you guys doing something for us please go take care of our sponsors uh take care of the people that take care of us Uh, We appreciate you guys, and we'll talk to you again on Friday.